I feel like my life was on the path to have been there last Wednesday. And there's a lot of folks that are on that path right now. And you get on that path very easily because it becomes an us versus them battle of good versus evil. And I remember when I used to be deep into partisan politics, as long as I could couch it as good versus evil, everything was on the table as a means to justify the end to save the country from evil. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we believe big things can happen when ideas collide inside the bonds of mutual respect. We're building the town hall of the 21st century across the partisan divide. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. When most separate, we gather across color, creed, and ideology. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is your host, Vanessa Rouse. Thank you for joining us for The Reunited States. This episode is named after the incredible documentary that was released just two days before this episode came out. The film is also called The Reunited States, and it follows unsung heroes on the difficult journey of bridging our political and racial divides. You can watch The Reunited States on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and other places on demand. We've got those links for you on the show notes page at villagesquare.us squarecast. This program offers a unique opportunity to hear directly from the director and cast of The Reunited States and the author of the book that inspired it all, also called The Reunited States. First, I'm going to play a two-minute trailer from the film, and then we'll meet our special guests. Our country is very divided right now. Folks, we're physically attacking one another. The root causes of division go all the way down into our foundation as a country. I can't breathe! I can't breathe! Stop! Stop! If we're going to live in a democracy, all of us have to learn to be mediators and bridge builders. My daughter would tell you, let's get on to the issues that she died for. The divisions are happening in our neighborhoods, they're happening in our schools, and they're happening in our families. We decided to travel to all 50 states to get an understanding of what was causing these divisions. Issues we'll inherit are not so much dividing between the left versus right, but really the future versus the past. We decided to create the first ever caucus for young members of Congress. I want to create a third force in our politics that's able to get us beyond this partisan warfare. Meeting people across the country who have a passion to see our divisions healed, that gives me hope. look at me as if we don't deserve to be respected, we don't deserve to be treated fairly. It does something to you. We get uranium, we get murder, we get alcohol. Nobody's doing nothing about it. I wish there was something I could do to help her. I don't want other mothers to go through this. This country needs bridge builders. Don't be afraid to reach out to someone who might not believe exactly like you believe. Listen, you guys, this makes me want to watch it all over again. It was that good. So if you haven't seen it already, do check it out. We have today's guest to thank for this extraordinary film. And we also thank them for spending this time with us to share more of their stories and to let us ask some questions. 
Joining us, we have Ben Rickey, director of the film, Mark Gerzon, author of The Reunited States of America, the book that inspired the film, Susan Bro, who lost her daughter Heather Heyer when a car drove through a group of counter-protesters in Charlottesville, David and Aaron Leverton, a couple who spent a year traveling to all 50 states in an RV with their three young children, I might add, to try to understand the people of our great nation and to discover what could heal the deep divisions between us. David Leverton is a former Senate senior staffer who used to practice partisan politics as part of his day job, but he saw what we were becoming and decided to do something vastly different. David and Aaron's journey across the U.S. is quite inspiring, as are the stories of all of our guests today. One thing that's really interesting about this program, it was held the week after January 6th, when much of America was glued to the TV watching the horrific events that unfolded at the Capitol. And this program was the first time that this group of bridge builders had the opportunity to talk together about what happened. As I said earlier, this program is so timely, and it's the first program of our new season called A Citizen's Guide to Healing America. The other programs in this series are just as important, and you can find out about those at villagesquare.us, or check back here to hear these programs on Village Squarecast. Finally, before we get started, a huge thank you to Florida Humanities Council and Tallahassee Democrat for making this program possible. We couldn't do it without your support. Okay, let's turn it over to Village Square's founder and CEO, Liz Joyner, to get the program started. So speaking of heroes, one of the reasons that I wanted to have the focus we did this year on healing democracy is that for all these years, you know, the wonderful people who've stuck with us in Tallahassee don't necessarily know all the wonderful people we've met across the country who are doing this work every day, making incredible sacrifices. And I wanted you to get to know some of them and them to know you. So it is my pleasure to introduce uh, our first guest for this evening, someone who is a truly an extraordinary hero in American democracy, Mark Gerzon. Mark, sir, hello. How are you? Good to see you. Thank you, Liz. And I'm going to read Mark's bio for just a second. So I'm going to do the blah, blah, blah about you first, and then I'm, then I'm going to tell what I know. So Mark Gerzon is founder and president of Mediators Foundation. He is one of the key architects of the field of global leadership and an experienced facilitator in high-conflict zones. He has advised a wide variety of organizations, including designing and facilitating U.S. bipartisan congressional retreats. Mark has written numerous books, including The Reunited States, um, which this movie is based on. He spent his career across the ideological frontier between left and right. And I think he may be one of the most impactful citizens that you may not know yet. I looked up when you and I first met each other, Mark. I may be wrong, but I think it was in 2013. So it's been a good number of years. And it was a ro- in a room in Washington, D.C., where your, your vision and your hope was playing out, where sort of the, the beginning parts of the movement to bridge these divides were, were, we were all together. And you told us, you know, sort of what had happened before and what you were imagining could happen next. And one of the things that I, I remember you mentioning, you said that, that this may be our last shot. This, this may be it. And so I guess I want to just ask you one, one question about that. I, I feel like in the last you know, years, but certainly in the last week, it's felt like this isn't optional anymore, what you've devoted your life to. And it doesn't feel like we have the luxury to react in ways that human beings react you know, often that are understandable and human, but that also accelerate the division. Thoughts? I hear you loud and clear, and um, I do think it's our last chance. I thought that in 2013, and uh, I think it even more passionately now. The way I put it to the wonderful guests you have on this Zoom, Liz, is if the red light went on the dashboard of your car that said, add oil, would you wait seven years to put oil in? No, in fact, you'd be getting nervous in seven days. 
And so basically what I see all of us on this call and all of you doing is we're trying to add oil to the engine of democracy because we want it to run. We want it to run. And I think it's more urgent now than ever. I think we also have some engine repair to do at this point. <laughs> we have some engine repair. But by God, every one of us has some oil we can add. So we're doing tag team introductions tonight. So Mark, uh, you get to introduce our next guest, Ben. Well, it would be my pleasure. And I want to say something to you before I introduce the director of this film, because some of you are thinking they're doing this film because, oh, you know, they invaded the capital and, and gosh, democracy's in crisis and they made this film. No, actually, I wrote The Reunited States of America in 2015. It was published in 2016. Ben Rickey, who's here on your screen and who's the director of the film, contacted me in 2017 and said, hey, I'm thinking about making a film called The Reunited States, and I see you've written a book about it. That was in 2017. Then he did, they did two years of filming, and they put the film together in 2018, 2019, and they thought about releasing it in 2020. And in 2020, they felt, well, when the, time's not quite right. Time's not quite right. The real credit that I give to Ben, you, Ben, as director and as visionary for this film, is that this film feels completely timely. And to me, that's, that's a work of art. That's a work of art. When you put together something that has had a five-year history, and whenever somebody watches it, whenever you on this, on this Village Square Zoom, Zoom call, whenever you go and watch the film, you're going to say, this was made for me, and this was made for me today. And Ben, that's uh, my way of introducing you and saying you're, you're, you've really decided to go to the heart of the matter, and, and you really did. And the people you're about to introduce have taken us to the heart of the matter, and I'm, I feel privileged to be a part of it. Over to you, Ben Rickey, the director uh, and visionary of the United States. So much, Mark. I like to joke that maybe it's almost past this time because we're all past our, our divides and we've solved our problems. So there's no need for the film anymore. No, it's true. I, I, you know, there was a lot of talk about trying to release the film before the election, uh, right after the election. And, you know, for circumstances, you know, somewhat beyond our control, it's coming out after the inauguration. And I've come around to the idea now that it's actually releasing at the exact moment when it's needed most. And the fact that, you know, we're, we had an insurrection last week, a, a impeachment this week, a, a inauguration next week. These are extraordinary times. I mean, we're undergoing massive shifts as, as a society and, and culture, and we're right in the thick of it. And, and, and we hope that this film can be a small part of the conversation of showing what it actually looks like to heal divides. Because even if we wanted to do that, even if there's a desire to, most of us don't know what that looks like. And I was so fortunate to meet other people on the journey, yourself first and foremost, that, that guided me to the others that were doing this work already. And, you know, one of the things that you helped frame for me is this isn't something that our government can fix for us. We have to fix this for ourselves. We, the, you know, our elected officials are symptomatic of the divides that, that have been growing in the public. And this is a citizen's movement. This needs, you know, at all levels uh, up and down in society, but there's 300 million of us and, and we all have a role to play. And every single day we're either uniting or dividing. And so, you introduced me to the yeah, three other characters in the film. I had met Susan Bro, who I'll introduce first here. I had the good fortune of seeing her speak at an event. As many of you know, Susan's the mother of Heather Heyer and the, the founder of the Heather Heyer Foundation, who lost Heather during the events of the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. And I was just struck by the fact that she could speak with such clarity and such a voice of reason about the need to work through our differences to avoid further violence. And it really moved me to the point where I felt compelled to go speak with her and just say, Susan, I am so touched by your story. And I think that you have a wisdom that you're on the front lines of division that can help so many of us that are struggling with this emotionally and trying to navigate this new reality. And after a little bit of convincing, she, she allowed me to follow uh, and our camera crew to follow her. So I'll introduce Susan before the next panelist. Uh, so Susan, can you say a few words? Hello, guys. Good to be here at this very strange time in history. <laughs> not a time we would have picked, not a path I would have picked, but here we are. And so we move forward. That's all we can do. Okay, great. Thank you, Susan, for, for saying that. I'd love to pass it over to Aaron and David Leverton, the couple that you saw in the, in the film trailer that took the journey across America to uncover what divides us. 
you know, I met them through Mark and their story is just extraordinary what they what they've seen and done. So Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having us. We love the chance to talk with this group of people. These people are our heroes. Ben, we commend you for what you've done. It's brilliant. And like Mark said, like the timing is it's prophetic and it's powerful. And we're so honored and excited that there is hope and that we get to be a part of that. Yeah, I, th- I think America needs this film today. And there's no way that you could start making the film today. It really, it really took people like Mark Gerson and Ben Rickey who. And Susan Bro. Yeah, but uh, people who saw where we were going years before mm-hmm. and have begun to speak out to it. And so uh, I think today is, you know, just a celebration and an honor to folks in the room who have, who have been that check engine light, as Mark talked about earlier, that we're now seeing the results of not doing anything about that engine. Yes. I, I am most inspired by yourselves and your story. Any, anyone who's spending part of their day trying to bring us together, this is a daily practice. I think there's, you know, the first step, and, and Mark, you really helped frame this for all of us. Mark's been doing this work for 30 years, that these, these divisions are inside each of us. They, they cut through every human heart, and, and we have the capacity to choose to, to, to lean into them and be dividers or to consciously use our thoughts, words, and actions to bring us together. And that's a decision you wake up and make every single day. And so what we wanted to do with this film and hopefully with this discussion is just give people the agency to say, okay, I can't change everyone else. I can't change people I disagree with, but you know what? I can change myself. And that, that maybe if enough of us do that, we can, we can move forward. And so I know it seems like a, a turbulent time and, and we seem further apart than ever, but this is the moment where we all have to make that choice for ourselves. And so there's an opportunity here too. Susan, I would love to just pass it back to you for a moment. You know, since doing this work in the film and, you know, kind of follows your journey as, as you go all the way to Congress to, to pass uh, a bill to help reporting of hate crimes, what, what kind of work are you doing since then? Where do you find yourself on the journey now? It's kind of funny because as I get closer to 65 this late this year, I'm trying to figure out how much of my life I give to being grandma, how much of my life I give to being mom to my son and to my stepdaughters and how much I give to the public and you know, trying to find new balances for that. And I kind of really thought everything was maybe going to not need me. (laughs) Then last week happened and um, I was watching while it happened. So I find myself back in the midst of a pile of interviews and contacted by press from a number of different countries. And once again, I ride the wave, you know, I, I, I'm not looking for any of this, but if it comes to me, I deal with it as it happens. And, uh, try to speak truth, try to speak rationally. I will say I lost it with a family member this week. So, uh, you know, you, you, you try to be a reuniter, but the truth is sometimes those closest to you push your buttons the hardest. So I'm, I'm still trying to figure it all out. If I can ask you, Susan, what was it like for you as someone who lost your daughter in a violent confrontation to watch that violence last week? What was, what was that like for you? So I was determined to watch the proceedings. I had been warning people this was going to be a a violent time in our history. And most of my friends were like, "Uh, I don't think so. I I think they're aware. And I know a lot of us had fed information to the FBI and others hoping that they would pay attention. So at 125, we sat down to... I'll probably remember this forever, tomato soup and grilled cheese and turned on the internet to watch the proceedings. They had just started to argue about Arizona or debate Arizona. And I said to my husband, something's wrong. Something's not right. There's something's happening. And so we started watching it and proceeded to watch, uh, switch to television and watch for the next 12 hours. And being angry for 12 hours, just angry for 12 hours. And then the next day, we were just exhausted. 
And then I do, what I always do is I pick myself back up and go, okay, back to work. Because that's all I can do. I can't sit around and wring my hands, but it was horrifying. And several people from Charlottesville reached out and said that they were having the same sort of issues, that they were angry and frustrated and in pain from that. It was very hard to watch. It strikes me that the, the loss of a child what you have to go through with that. And then you essentially have a role kind of in the country and in the world now on top of that, that you didn't audition for, you wouldn't have taken. No. And you can't control. No. And I just have to accept the synchronicity of it. In some ways I've been prepared for this role my whole life. And uh, I'm not going to take up all the time in the world here to talk about that, but I look at things now and go, oh my God, that got me ready for this. That got me ready for that. And that's kind of horrifying too, to think this was coming and I had no way to know it or prevent it. I, I don't know. Anyway, it is what it is. And I move forward with that. But I'm so grateful that there are people like you all who joined me on the journey or I was able to join you. I mean, it's fascinating to me, Liz, that you have been doing this for 15 years and Mark, you've been doing this for 30 years and I never even knew any of it. Never even particularly thought it was something I needed to know. Obviously I was wrong. So here I am, the new kid on the block and I'm learning and I'm trying to wrap my head around it. So so since we're already right into the deep end, I guess I want to ask the rest of you just how how the events of the last week impacted you, given that you so devoted yourself to this work, how was it different? How did you feel? Did you feel more helpless? Did you feel more, did you just feel like you needed to double down? You guys haven't talked about this with each other since it happened. Yeah, I, I guess I'll jump in. I mean, I'll be honest, I was a little blindsided by this. I, you know, there was a lot of comment in the bridge building field after the election, that no matter how much there was controversy or, you know, refusal to accept the outcome, that our democratic institutions held up, that they passed the stress test that it had gone through, and there was a, a sigh of relief. And then to see that institution and our very bedrock of our democracy shaken and stormed and infiltrated with people with zip ties who had, you know, who knows what kind of intentions was was terrifying and and these problems came home to roost at the very highest levels and so i think for all of us it's been you know something we would, didn't think we'd see in our lifetime and it, it's it's still so fresh the wounds are so fresh it's even hard to comprehend and and as you know a call for unity like this is a major setback on the one hand because you know, now now things have gotten violent on a massive scale at the center of our government. And so I, I think it's scary to think that we're in uncharted waters and people, the term unprecedented has become sort of a cliche now. But at the same time, I think this distinction that has been really helpful to make for me to process this is that most of Americans, most of us, whether we're on the left or the right, reject violence, outright reject it. And there's some fringe groups on the far, far reaches of the spectrum that embrace it. And that's a very much smaller group than the majority of us. So the idea that all Trump supporters support it is, is a fair accusation. It's an unfortunate reality that there's Trump signage all over this imagery and it's associating but the important distinction to make, and, and this is obviously very touchy and delicate subject matter, but the opposite argument would say that everyone who peacefully protested last summer was Antifa or looters or rioters, and, and we know that's not true. And so I, I think it's an important distinction to make in that what with, with the common ground that we have now is the majority of us reject violence. And that to me is where we can start where we agree, where we have common ground. Yeah, I'll jump in, Liz. A friend of mine actually said something that just that rocked me the day of these events. And she said, a professor once told her that everyone is really only doing the best they can with what they have. And at first I was like, no, that's not right. That can't be right. 
but I think it's true. And I think what that does, if you can embrace that truth, is it opens you up to a place of empathy, even for insurrectionists. Because if we begin to dehumanize these people, then we will begin to use the very tools that I think instigated the anger and the frustration that led them to these actions in the first place. And so I think we need to be very careful with our language right now as bridge builders and as human beings, because um, I listened to a great podcast this week released by Brene Brown. She has a great podcast called Unlocking Us. And in this most recent episode, she was talking about the danger of stepping into the place of shaming and dehumanizing people in this moment. And it just struck me because it's so easy to do because we get so angry. But she said it's, it's harder to be hurt than it is to be angry. And so I, I think we need to give ourselves permission. And I just want to applaud Susan for this because I think, Susan, you do this really beautifully. Is you, We all have permission to be hurt and to feel that hurt. And I think that's where we can begin the process of healing is to allow ourselves to feel what we're feeling and not go straight to anger because we can't heal from that place. And the acceleration is inevitable if that's where we go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dehumanization in our language is basically the base point for every genocide in human history. So that's where it takes us. I would ask everybody who's convicted of being part of the insurrection in Washington to have part of their punishment be <laughs> to watch the reunited States. And that would mean that they'd have to go with David and Aaron around the country and they'd have to follow David and Aaron through their journey. And they'd have to see this couple from Texas who decided to do this. They'd have to travel along and they'd have to have their eyes open to what David and Aaron saw. And it's basically a hero's journey. And a lot of those people want to be heroes. A lot of those people want to save America. Well, okay, get in David and Aaron's van then and travel with them and get to know the country that you want to be a hero for. Get to know the country that you say you love. You know, and that's what David and Aaron did and why I'm, I'm so glad, Ben, you, you know, have them be a through line for the film because it's a journey and, and it's a struggle. And what Aaron just did was embodies what I think their journey was about was find the empathy for or almost anybody. And I've got some empathy. I don't have much. It's very hard for me to find empathy for a guy who has a blue lives flag in his hand and is beating a cop with his blue lives flag at the Capitol. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a lot of trouble finding empathy for that. But I know that if I sat down with the way David and Aaron sat down with people, and I sat down with that guy who was beating the cop with his blue lives matters flag, and I heard his story, and we went deep enough, we'd find his hurt, and we'd find his pain. And uh, that doesn't mean <laughs> that he doesn't have to go to jail. It doesn't mean he can't be. No, that's part of his journey. You know, that's part of his journey now is go to jail or whatever the punishment happens to be. But I, I really want to, I'm really grateful that we go on this journey with David and Aaron and the rest of us because it's not an easy one. It's not an easy one. And every day you don't like, you don't become a reuniter and then put a, put a little pin on your lapel and say, I'm a reuniter. You got to do it every day. You got to do it every day. And Susan, you know, you're still you got to struggle with that every day. And, and I really was so touched by what you shared about last week. And that's one of the beautiful things about you. You do get back up and you, you start over again. You know, you start all over again. Thank you. One of your quotes, Mark, was polarization isn't just in Washington. It's in our hearts. It really is, isn't it? It is. It is. And the depolarization is in our hearts. And uh, I was just talking to a family member today about we all have defense structures around our hearts. We even have something called a pericardium, which is there to protect our heart. And you can get a disease called pericarditis, which is, you know, an infection of the heart lining. Well, America is losing its pericardium. <laughs> Our hearts are breaking open now, and we've got to let them break open. And we've got, to, we've got to really start to know how to learn how to love this country more deeply. And I personally think that the first step towards loving the country more deeply is respect. All these people who do this say, I'm a patriot. I love America. And then they hit the cop over the head. Well, wait a minute. You know, uh, no, I think the people who killed George Floyd probably thought of themselves as patriots. No, you're not. The first step to being a patriot is respect. We had a guest one time, Stephen Kiernan, who talks about patriotism as being the act of picking up the end of what has to be done, the work that has to be done that's in front of us. And it, it, it's actually amazing how infrequently we see patriotism that way. 
but you guys don't. Speaking of that, Dave and Aaron, are you guys ready to go to the 50 again? No chance. <laughs> Living on uh, 420 square feet uh, with three young children was no joke. Honestly, um, I think our kids are too large physically to do it again. They were small enough to fit, and now they've grown. I didn't tell you about the sequel, the re reunited States. Yeah, we'll have to get an, an extra RV for that one. <laughs> <laughs> you can babysit. There's some amazing parts of the country, and there are some parts that I really don't feel like I need to get back to anytime soon. And so it would probably be more of like the 32 state tour or something like that if we did that again. But well, that'd be a start. Yeah. We won't name the states we don't. We're not <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I tell you, you know, as, as we're talking here, I feel like my life was on the path to him. To have been there last Wednesday, that was where I was on the path too. And there's a lot of folks that are on that path right now. Mm. And you get on that path very easily because it becomes an us versus them battle of good versus evil. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I used to be deep into partisan politics it was a battle of good versus evil. And as long as I could couch it as good versus evil, everything was on the table as a means to justify the end to save the country from evil. And what we saw play out last week were people who believe they were saving their country from evil. And what I learned through my journey is that I was not as good as I thought I was, and they were not as evil as I thought they were that I was a deeply flawed and ignorant and uninformed human being. And the people who are my other and who are my enemy were beautiful, were of infinite value, and were doing the best that they could with what they had that individual day. And they loved the country just as much as I did, but their lived experience was very different than mine and how they walked that out was very different. And so, you know, I'm really thankful today that I was not part of that because I was really on that path, I would say. I think for a lot of folks who uh, who call themselves Republican and, and, and or conservative, and, I, and I'm not far away from that, that tribe anymore, man, uh, it, it really checked me to think about what happens when you begin to see this as a war of good versus evil and what we're truly capable of. People, you know, you heard a lot of people, man, that's not us. That's not America. It is us. It is America. This is what happens when the darkness of our hearts gets displayed in a war of good versus evil and of humans versus people who are less than human. And when we dehumanize people and we see them as less valuable than we are, there is nothing we will not do up into bludgeoning somebody with a fire extinguisher who's wearing a Capitol Hill police badge. And that is a scary place that we're headed to. And it's a very, it, that was just incredibly brave. I think that was the most brave moment of the film um, when you said something very similar to that. And my reaction to it is to think about the fact that I think really what you've described is the human condition. That's who we are, that we're complex and we are capable of the most incredible forgivenesses and kindness. And we're also capable of turning into that us versus them. And I think that it's so easy to see the the human qualities in the other. And it's very hard sometimes to see it in ourselves. And I think it's very rare. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that's what this walk has been for me these 15 years. I mean, if I were to be honest, I think that when I started it and I'm on the left side of the aisle, I think when we started the Village Square, probably somewhere in my mind, I thought that we were going to just, you know, inform everyone enough that they'd all think what I think. And lo and behold, that is not at all what happened. And I changed and I see things differently and in more granularity and and humanity. And I guess I'm I'm wondering if other people have kind of had that same experience. Yeah, I mean, probably... Five years ago, I was somewhat conservative. I would occasionally vote Libertarian or Green Party or something to express displeasure over particular candidates, but I was not aligned one way or the other. I had always tended to be conservative, 
intended to be Republican, but never really fully identified with either party. And I still really don't. I think people make assumptions about me based on my lived experience of the last three years. But even watching the film now, I say that I would do things a little differently than I did in 2018. We're all capable of change. If we are honest, we all try to learn as we go and adjust to you know what we learn. I want to say something based on what Susan and David said, because everybody's starting to say that, talk about left and right. And I just want to say a word about that, because I feel that when we are in our hearts, we're off the spectrum. When we express empathy, we're off the spectrum. Now, we may be on that little line that somebody told us we're supposed to fit on. Maybe we tend conservative on this or liberal on that. I certainly do. But when you're in your heart, you connect to somebody on the other side. And once you're connected to somebody on the other side, where are you on that stupid line that somebody drew and said we all have to fit on? I mean, I remember there was a TED Talk where the woman, a gay woman said to the audience, how many of you are 100% straight? Raise your hand. You know, and a couple of people raised their hand. And she said, how many of you are 100% homosexual? And a couple of people raised their hand. And then she said, how many of you are, you know, some kind of combination or mixture? And like, everybody raised their hand. And I thought, wow, how liberating, you know, that, okay, we're, where there's masculine and feminine in all of us. Well, I think there's conservative and liberal in all of us. But the culture is not letting us be that way. The culture is not letting us be complicated. And, and I'm tired of hearing people defend themselves and saying, well, I'm fiscally conservative and socially liberal or something. You're being who you are. You're being a human being. You don't have to justify it because you don't fit in these categories. And, and I feel passionately about it. And I, I feel like we got to get rid of that, that map because that map is basically anti-empathy, anti-heart. It's all about putting yourself on some line. And I can tell you there's some issues where I'm pretty conservative and there's some issues where I'm radically progressive. And don't try to tell me I've got to be a dot on your line. Mark has a great TEDx talk. He talks about both hands. Do <laughs> you want both hands, the left and the right? I'm just, I'm, I'm just very moved by what you said earlier, Dave. It's incredibly brave in this moment to, to acknowledge the path that you felt like you might have been on. And, you know, it's part of the beauty of, of, of your guys' spirit to be able to be so vulnerable to share these thoughts that actually help us make sense of these moments. Because I think that this thing that we're talking about, that we all have the capacity to do good or to do harm is something that we're all aware of. And, you know, in any relationship, we have outbursts of, of anger inside of us that we don't recognize and the part that's been the hardest to deal with over the past several years is that we have a leader who is okay stoking that side of us. And it's very troubling, you know, and, and this is, again, uh, to separate, you know, an elected official or the president that I have, you know, deep troubles with personally from his supporters, because I, I think part of my journey has been from further left to more moderate, because I, I think, you know, saying things like, if you voted for Trump, you're a racist is part of the problem and part of what's keeping us from finding solutions. And so my own journey has sort of become to lower the temperature in my own tribe or on my own side. And I started off like Liz said, thinking that, you know, maybe it's our job to change other people's minds. And that's the fundamental mistake is you can never go into a conversation with a family member or a friend trying to change their minds. You, you just can't do it. And, and if that's the goal, of course, you're going to have conflict. I think it's really acknowledging that we are who we are. And maybe over time, people change, but there's no expectation of that. How can I change? How can we change? And so, Dave, I'm just, I'm, I'm really touched that you would share that with us right now in this moment. Amen. Love you, man. Uh, I think what then what you said is so important, like identity. I am thinking about where we're finding identity in this moment. And Mark, like you said, not allowing this made up spectrum to give us identity because that does create an us and a them. And it creates this sense of hierarchy and this sense of measured value. And when we start measuring human value, we lose sight of the infinite nature of human value. 
And it robs us of that human superpower of empathy. And so like, I would just invite everybody who's on this call right now to let go of any identity you're finding in your political affiliation, like to let that go and allow your identity to be defined by like what Dr. King said, how appropriate that we're about to celebrate this man who said it's about the content of your character. It's not about your political affiliation. It's not about the color of your skin. And it's not about where you fall on these issues. It's about who you are on the inside. It's not even about what you do, like these insurrectionists. Their identity is not going to be what they've done, whether good or bad. It's about who you are on the inside. And sometimes we forget who we are. And we won't be reminded of who we are if we're constantly being attached for what we've done. Not that we shouldn't be held accountable. That's different. One of the things that you joked about in the film was that when you came back to your friends that that they were worried that you were going to become Democrats. And we've actually got a question that says, I'm wondering at the Leverton House how have had any success with friends and family extending the empathy they learned on the road, specifically the meeting with a woman who lost her baby seemed to be an eye opener for them. So answering that question, but then also just maybe the comment that, you know, I would empathize with your friends feeling about that, right? Because in some ways our politics are kind of a groupish experience. We do bond with people over them. We, our network of people are very often the people who agree with us. So it's, it's, this, it's a very hard thing to move out of networks that have sort of an overall political opinion. You know, I, I, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit with this. I think that the, the vibrancy of relationship um, when there's real love, it can carry the weight of dissonance when you disagree politically. And there's more, it's more fun to be friends with people who disagree at some level. Like, I would rather have a beer with Ben than, you know, a mirror image of some yourself. conservative Christian in Dallas, Texas, who I went to Baylor University with. Reason being, that's boring you know, and I'd rather be challenged. And when I understand that my value is not in my political affiliation or, you know, what I'm doing every day, but it's in who I am, then I, it opens me up to this possibility of enjoying Ben and all the differences between us and our upbringings and our backgrounds and our stories, because it's vibrant and it's exciting and it's new. And I'm being introduced to something that I don't understand from a perspective that I haven't seen. So, you know, I think fear is the key element there. Liz, will you repeat that question again? I want to make sure we answer it. it Did that answer sure. the question? So, it, well, I kind of, I said two things really. So they're just wondering if, you've seen sort of the empathy that you found on your trip playing out in your relationships and your friendships that, that it sort of helped them understand things more fully as well. I think that's definitely happened to the folks who are walking with us. Mm -hmm. um, the folks who know our hearts and know, you know, we're not putting on a show. We don't have an agenda here. We, we've gone through a transformation and a journey and people identify with who we were and kind of our, uh, our former lives and and see that the journey we've been on has not been, you know, political transformation where oh, it's so cool to watch these folks become Democrats or something like that. You know, that that's not what we've become. To quote the great Mark Gerzon, we've gone from closed hearted to open hearted. I would say that's been really the transformation. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would invite my hardcore Republican brothers Feel free to stay Republican. Feel free to stay conservative. Be who you are. But go. But I, what I encourage is to move from closed-hearted to open-hearted for your fellow American. That that fraternity, that the bonds of fraternal feeling among the brothers of uh, brothers and sisters of our fellow countrymen, and, and that's the part that there's so much life. I'll tell you from being on the other side of it, there is so much life for you to open your heart towards your enemy. There is life there. There is not death there. And I, and I would welcome you to join me there. I wouldn't welcome you to join me to become a Democrat because I'm not a Democrat, but I would welcome you to join me in opening your heart to the joy and the vibrance and the diversity and the beauty of America. Mm -hmm. Just a really quick point, and Mark helped us see this as well. 
there's a misperception about being a bridge builder means you have to be a moderate or that you have to compromise in some way. That's not what it means at all. It means that you're creating a better environment in which to coexist and you can still be left and right. And the other thing that I really learned from Mark and what Aaron and Dave are just echoing is you do this work for yourself to let go of your own anxiety and your own anger and fear and, You know, just I I feel so blessed over the past two years to have interacted and followed people you see on the screen here. And we invite you to join this movement, whoever's watching this, and just realize that there is a movement, that there are thousands of organizations out there that you can be a part of. You're already part of one with the Village Square. And that, like, this is something that's healing for you, not just for the country, not just for each other. And that's a big distinction is if we can all let go of this collectively, this this anxiety and terror, it's much better for our mental health. I was just thinking about like transformational moments in the world are kind of exactly what you all are talking about. So an example is when the family members of the victims at Emanuel AME Church in Charleston looked at Dylan Roof in court and said, I forgive you. And it's just like the world rocked on its axis. I wonder if you guys kind of like what are what are the moments that you know we individual humans can try to move the axis just a little bit where we are right now? I can share a time when when my world was rocked on its axis, and I think it's this just a message to a lot of the folks who probably are on this Zoom deal. A lot of I mean, this is a self selected group of people who care about creating community and bridging divides and things like that. But you know, early on in our journey. My heart was to see unity in America. And you're hearing that from a lot of folks in Congress right now is unity. Why, why should we be doing this? We should be talking about unity and things like that. And it was probably state number four for us. And I was reaching out to an 85-year-old African-American man in Savannah, Georgia. And, uh, you know, we would show up in these states just side unseen and just start cold calling and such. And, and I was talking to this guy on the phone. I said, sir, you know, I would love to meet with you. My name's David. We're on a, this 50 state journey. Uh, you know, we really have a heart for unity in America. And I was just so excited, bright eyed and bushy tailed and optimistic. And at some point he just stopped me and he said, David, in his wisdom of 85 years, he goes, you know, I don't even think I would meet with you if I had the time. He said, it's hard to be reconciled with someone who has a boot on your neck. And, and to me, I just sat there just dumbfounded in silence because, you know, so many of us in this, in this uh, stream of bridge builders and reconcilers and healers have to stop and realize that we have to first acknowledge what has led to this division, what has led to these divides what has led to oppression, marginalization, and dehumanization on on multiple sides, especially in this case with a black man growing up in the South, pre-civil rights, Jim Crow, the whole deal. For me to walk up to him and say, hey, can't we all just get along and be united? We're the United States. Come on, let's just do this, was to ignore the fact that he wakes up every day as a United States citizen with a boot on his neck. And so I think for a lot of us as bridge builders, it's important not to just jump to unity, but to address the fact that there are situations and systems and people's lives who wake up every day in our country with a boot on their neck. And and for me, it was one of those axis tilting moments to where this is up to me and I've got to stop just talking about unity and I actually need to do whatever I can in my power to see that the boot is removed from this man's neck. And then he might have enough air to talk to me about unity. And so that, that was just one for me personally. And I know everybody's kind of got different experiences. Anyone else? Well, you just made me think of George Floyd, obviously, David, as you spoke so eloquently. And George Floyd literally had a knee on his neck and literally couldn't breathe. And I'm relating that to last Wednesday because We had a video of what happened in Minneapolis, and the video showed that there are policemen who mistreat African-Americans and and are violent against African-Americans, particularly African-American men. We got to watch that on video. And last week, we got to watch on video that there's a significant number of Americans who 
think the government is corrupt and think they can, you know, uh, attack it violently. And I, while both of those are horrible events and to be regretted profoundly, particularly loss of life in both places, it does show us something about who we are. It does show us something about who we are. And I, I, I texted David and Aaron before this, I, a line from the New York Times, or an editorial today that said, the first step towards unity is honesty. And I was thinking, David, when I sent it to you of just that, of the, just what you said, that the first step is to be honest and say, you know, Liz Joyner is sitting on Seminole land, you know, Mark Gerzon is sitting on Arapaho land. I mean, let's be honest. And not because we're liberal, not because we're progressive, not because we're guilt-ridden, because we believe in the truth. And that was one of the most eloquent moments on those Senate speeches when Mitt Romney said, if we want to reach out to the people who attack the Capitol, the first step is to tell them the truth. And, and I was so delighted to hear Mitt Romney say that because we have to face the truth. And I consider your journey, David and Aaron, I think, and Ben captured, you guys were searching for the truth about America. And anybody who watches this film and who goes along with you in that RV with your three kids is on a search for the truth about America. I don't mean the truth, but I mean the, the deeper awareness, the more expanded awareness. And I, I really salute you for that. And that's the journey. And that's, I, again, why I like the film so much, because it's a journey. There's no destination on this film. You know, it doesn't, the destination is not do this and then the country will be saved, you know, end campaign finance reform and, or do campaign finance reform and the country will be saved or elect so-and-so and the country will be saved. No, it's open. Just what you said so beautifully, open your heart and you will be part of the solution. You know, open your heart and you will become part of the solution. And then we all unfold into the great mystery of democracy. Go ahead, Ben. I can share just a really brief story. I, I haven't thought about this in a while, but you know, I'm, I'm mixed race. My, my dad is from India and he's Sikh and my mom is, you know, blonde haired, blue eyed American. But the only time I really felt true prejudice as a minority, because I, I can be sort of culturally ambiguous or white passing was um, after 9-11. And I had a, a big beard and longer hair and, you know, was getting frisked at airports. And, and it was actually while I was traveling, and I won't say the country, but I had kind of a Indian shirt on and, and, a, and a beard. And, and people wouldn't let me into restaurants. People tried to start fights with me. Uh, everywhere I looked, people were like looking down on me. And it was the first time in my life that I understood what it must be like to be an, a, a person of color or a minority. And I think part of what we're hoping to do with the film is to, and, and again, Dave and Aaron said it so wonderfully on their experience, and Susan talks about this a lot, is that there's no singular American experience. Like based on the color of your skin, your religion, your language, your culture, there are hundreds of different versions of America and how America sees you. And so to say that it's a level playing field or that we all, you know, can go as far as our dreams can take us is just not fair. And, and, you know, Susan, you said this last time we spoke about this, like the saying that like, oh, how can you pull yourself up from the bootstraps if you don't even have boots? And so I think like what we're, what we really hope the film can do is, is not to shame anyone or browbeat anyone that might be on a different leg of the journey of learning these things, because why would you need to know about them if they don't affect you every day? I mean, people of color know that we've been living in two different worlds like the whole time. And, and for us, it's a lot of, you know, white America is waking up to that fact. And it's unsettling because it feels like I worked for everything I got. And so I think that what we really hope the film can do is provide just a, a space and a more loving atmosphere to, to entertain some of these ideas. Because I said things I'm ashamed of years ago, and, and I think it's unfair to expect that everyone should have the same kind of leg of the journey that you are. And so the film's releasing February 9th and please, please spread the word there. Yeah. Oh, Susan, you were going to say something. Well, I, you know, normally I'm chatty Kathy and tonight I'm taking more in, but I just wanted to say that we just have to constantly remind ourselves that yes, there are always extremes to the world, but there are way more of us who are not on those extremes and you really only have to just reach a little bit out to find someone to connect with. You just have to be willing to be transparent. You have to be willing to put yourself out there just a little bit. I so admire what the Levertons did. I don't think I could have ever done that. <laughs> and yet we don't have to do that in order to make connections. And 
yet they were willing to put themselves out there in such a, a brave way. But we just have to, you know, be willing to smile and talk to people. It's harder to smile with the mask on. A lot of us are trying to get that eye crinkle now. <laughs> but um, we, we can still make connections, even in a pandemic. Erin, you were going to say something? Yeah, but I don't remember. I just want to hear what Susan has to say. That's the important thing. <laughs> so I'm going to ask a couple audience questions, and you can anybody can answer whichever one you'd like to or speaks to you. How do we navigate spaces and conversations where the political views held by some are ideas that threaten the safety of certain groups of people? And how do you deal with the deep sadness that friends and family members don't seem to share your values? Hello again. It's Vanessa, your podcast host, breaking in here. We're going to pause here for today, and then we'll be back next week for audience questions like the ones Liz just posed and also a cameo appearance from a college student, Caroline Kirk, who's involved in bridge building and offers some thoughts about her generation's role in reuniting. This part two episode will be coming out next week, which would typically be an off week. So make sure you're subscribed to Village Squarecast so you don't miss the rest of this inspiring discussion. And a huge thank you to these incredible American heroes for showing us the path forward. All right, if you're a regular listener, you're probably familiar with some of my aha moments that I share as I absorb all this great bridge building content. Well, I had a big one while listening to this program. It's about what Ben said when he drew a parallel between people on the far extremes of both the left and the right, and particularly about violence. So for me personally, I support the message of Black Lives Matter protesters because I think there's really something there that we need to look at and fix, but I don't identify with the group at the Capitol on January 6th because I don't believe the election was stolen. And I've been puzzled at why many people on the right don't appear to be outraged at what happened and don't appear to relate those events to what's happening within their party. Well, when Ben spoke about how he sees this, I realized that I can very easily separate violent actions on the extreme left from myself and from the Democratic Party. I can so easily say, that's not me. That's not my party. That's not even close to the majority of my party and pretty much dismiss the whole thing. But honestly, it's been much harder for me to understand how people on the right can separate January 6th from their party. So what Ben said really hit home and makes sense to me. And it was another moment of connecting dots between several things that I've learned lately about how we got here and why our misunderstandings of each other run so deep and why many people on both sides have totally written off people on the other side. So this is what I'm thinking about and exploring in my own life at this moment in time. Thankfully, I've got those two books that we've talked about before on this podcast to help me out, both by Dr. Jonathan Haidt and both really insightful when it comes to understanding people with different views. One is called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion. And the other is The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. For real, y'all, these two books have changed the way I see our situation and have changed the way I see other people. You can hear the Cliff Notes version of Dr. Height's work in episode 10 of Village Squarecast. Also, check this out, y'all. Just a couple of days ago, while I was thinking about all this, I was reading about an upcoming God Squad program called Cancel Culture, Minority Opinion, and the Future of Humanity. Well, here's one line from the description of that event. Is there wisdom that can transcend the usual partisan hypocrisy where it's righteous if I do it, but it's evil when you do the very same thing? And so now I want to know, how is it that the Village Square always seems to know what's on my mind? And then they provide a program that gives insight into my biggest questions. You know, I'm just a regular person on this journey with all of you trying to make sense out of our complicated situation. 
And I'm constantly surprised at how relevant this content is to the things that I have been thinking about. I hope you've enjoyed these programs too. And if you'd like to share your own aha moments with us, you can do that by going to villagesquare.us and check out the contact link at the bottom of the page. Please join us for that upcoming God Squad program soon here on the Village Square cast and also the other programs in our new season called A Citizen's Guide to Saving America. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or on our website at villagesquare.us slash squarecast. That's also where you can find the show notes page for this episode with links to the reunited States film and other resources mentioned on this episode. And wow, there were a lot of great resources discussed this time. So much good stuff to dig into. To stay up to date with everything that's happening at the Village Square, visit us at villagesquare.us and sign up for our monthly newsletter. We'd be so grateful if you'd give us a review and Apple Podcasts. We appreciate you listening to The Reunited States. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon, and thank you so much for listening to Village Squarecast. Cast.